Hi there, my name is Ganika Pinnam. And I'm Varika Pinnam. We're sisters and the co-founders of IDA. If you're an entrepreneur or a new and upcoming brand, discover customer and audience insights about your product niche at thinkida.com because we are where your customers are. As founders of IDA, we've immersed ourselves in the startup world and become obsessed with all things entrepreneurship. We've learned a lot along the way and still are. And now we want to share that with you, our listeners. Whether you're already a savvy business owner, just getting started, or an aspiring entrepreneur, you are in the right place. Join us as we journey through the ahas, the oh no's, the why me's, the ups and downs, and those serendipitous moments when something clicks and it all falls into place. Welcome to the Lightbulb Moment Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Lightbulb Moment Podcast. On today's podcast episode is super special because I have my friends Amy and Cody, founders of Altropia, on the show today. And they are building a phenomenal portable washing machine. And I got to see this in person, uh, their prototype of it. It's super cool. And they are on fire these days. I'm sure they're going to talk more about it, but they have just been on fire with all the progress they're making. They're winning every pitch competition. And they are both you know, electrical engineering uh, academic backgrounds. And so they're super, super smart. And I can't wait to talk to them on just their startup journey and building a hardware company and all the options that they have for the future of their company. And they're really on a mission, you know, with sustainability and solving problems related to the UN's missions for the world. So super, super excited to have them here. Welcome, Amy and Cody. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rika. We are happy to be on here and we love talking to you. Yeah. And yeah, it's great to be on. We're not winning all the competitions, but <laughs> we've entered 15 competitions this pitch competition season. We've advanced in every single one. And I think it was a lot of refinement. A lot of it was like we did lots of um, accelerators and like government programs to really nail down mm-hmm. our story and like do like effective communication. And so I think, and also like we pivoted like four times and making sure that our product market fit was like really good, that our mission was good, that the social impact was there. And so it's like we, because as engineers originally, we came into it just like, oh, we just want to engineer stuff. But after doing a lot of research and like talking to people and not just trying to build what we want, but what people need, it's, it's allowed us to be successful across like I like just integrating the noise it's like no like we even if we don't win every competition mm-hmm. um we understand that like we're not everybody's cup of tea but everybody sees the value in our product yeah yeah so it's like like amy's saying it, i think it's more valuable that we've progressed in like mm-hmm. m- all of the competitions than that we've won a few because just the fact that the recognition is universal and we have to acknowledge the fact that when you're doing competitions, it's, it's really pretty subjective. You know, some of these yeah. have like two or three judges and it's just their opinion on like your business plan. Mm-hmm. And, but to get feedback from all of them that is consistent and, you know, get continuously refine the message and do well in all of them. That means like we have, you know, a, an, a, sto- a story that's understandable by people and they see how this can actually make a big impact in the world. And just because we're like, we, we can win all the pitch competitions, but not necessarily be successful in the marketplace. And we just really want to like make that transition to, to being successful in the marketplace. Completely agree. Um, in fact, like one of the best, you know, pieces of advice or wisdom that I received a few years ago is like, don't worry about winning competitions, like yeah. worry about building a great business and which is exactly yeah. what you guys are doing. 
Um, and I know, Amy, we've talked about this, like how the pitch competitions have basically helped you refine things. So it's more like a vehicle for you to keep continuously thinking about your business mm-hmm. and how to explain it succinctly. And you mentioned pivoting four times, which I really want to dive into. <laughs> but let's start at the beginning for like people that don't <laughs> even know what you guys do. Like, tell me how this started. What is it? Yeah. And so Cody and I met in our undergrad. Um, we both ran like an electrical engineering club, the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers. Um, so we were officers in that club. Cody was the president and I was the treasurer. And we did a bunch of fun projects. We made like a Skittles color sorting machine. We made um, a blind assistance device. There were drone swarms. There was a, like a motorized couch car that you could drive around. And then we were getting a lot of um, traction for the work that we were doing and the um, occupational therapists and physical therapists in the community reached out for us. They're like, it's like costing us a lot of money to adopt toys for our disabled students. Can you help us do this work? And like, a dad, it's like, we just need some wire and like some like 3D printed parts and we can do yeah. this for you for like, you know, just like dollars. And they were paying like $300, $600 to like adapt these toys. And since so like we got a lot of just outreach from the community and, and we set up a lot of programs. So after we graduated, like those programs would continue on out us. And we just got so much um, traction. We were just like, oh, we could just, we could do this forever. We're really good at this. I was really good at getting <laughs> funding, talking to donors. Cody was like really excellent with technical execution. Um, and just doing that, we entered our university's pitch competition. And so, um, and entering that pitch competition, we created a... Um, like a large like automated laundry sorting machine because we we hadn't talked to a lot of people yet and we were kind of thinking like we don't want to fold laundry anymore there's been all these laundry companies who are making like these ais that fail at folding laundry they'll look at a piece of clothing for like 30 minutes and then open back up and have accomplished nothing (laughs) and so we wanted to we wanted to get into the laundry space but kind of like move around folding laundry and so as the more that we were thinking about it, we were, we discovered we could use um, ultrasound to wash as well as dry clothing. We wanted to make it an all-in-one device. And so it was this really excellent technology. And then the more that we looked into ultrasound, we found just a really wide range of applications. And the more that we talked to people, we, we found just a, like people didn't really need the folding or the storing as much as like we thought they did, like they really, there were like 5 billion people in 2011 that were washing clothes by hand. And that number's changed rapidly. Like people all over the world are adapting washers and dryers and it's become a status symbol to own a washer and dryer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people adopt these washer and dryers and they don't always even use them. They like, just like having them, <laughs> they're like, <laughs> they're too expensive to run or they'll like, they'll just use it to like fluff up their clothes. And it's just like, they like, having it but the the costs to operate these washers and dryers are so high just like in terms of energy in terms of water and then they're also like having american standards of living is unsustainable like it, they emit a, like a ton of carbon they they put microplastics in the ocean and so we're we're rethinking the way that people wash and dry clothes by using ultrasound which yeah. is crazy oh go ahead cody yeah, I was just going to expand on that. Like the that journey of going from trying to engineer something that solves a problem versus talking to people and actually understanding the problem before we build things. I think that's been a really key thing for us, like, you know, as engineering founders. Um, you know, it's like we knew the pain of laundry and that's where we were setting out to tackle it. But it wasn't until we really started talking to even, you know, our, our peers, like, you know, students that we, you know, we 
were running the IEEE professional organization, the student branch, you know, with they were paying, you know, $15, $20 a week on laundry in shared laundry facilities and just having a really bad time with machines that didn't work very well. And just like that is such a bigger pain point than like making something that's really expensive for a select few. And I think our vision was just a little narrow. And so it's just going through and, and um, rethinking and giving ourselves the flexibility to rethink um, our approach based on that customer discovery. And I think that was super key. And mm-hmm. we've kept that process rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love how agile you guys are. Um, I remember, I think, Amy, because we met last summer and that idea was completely different. It was a wardrobe. Yes. <laughs> wash, dry, and like have it hung up for you in the yes. wardrobe. Yes. <laughs> um, now it's like this tiny machine that's like pretty portable and just focuses on washing and drying. So walk me through like the evolution of mm-hmm. what happened in between. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, after really zeroing in on um, ultrasound, um, we started working at um, the University of Washington's Applied Physics Lab, Center for Industrial and Medical Ultrasound. And the director of the lab is just like Mr. Ultrasound. Like whenever we talk about ultrasound with people, they're like, oh, you must, you must know Tom. And we're like, oh, yeah, Tom's great. He's, so he just has decades worth of research. And he was just so excited to have anybody interested in commercializing ultrasound walk into his lab. He's like, do you guys want to like work here? And I was like, well, like, I would pay you for this information. <laughs> like, okay, you can pay us. Like, yeah. And so he, he brought us on and we've learned just so much about that. And like, the applications are so much wider and just getting really really deep into the technology has been really really great and then all the resources at the university of washington has been excellent excellent so we started working at the applied physics lab um simu and then we also moved into um the university of washington's co-motion hardware incubator and they have all these resources for helping commercialize hardware companies and so we have access to their working space we have access to their resources um, their connections. They have an excellent coffee machine. That's, really <laughs> that's <laughs> critical. <laughs> critical for for building a startup is endless <laughs> endless coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's it's really given us the tools that we need to um, develop this technology. And uh, what we're finding is um, that it's really um, it's really open. And like the more that we talk to people, the more that it defines our direction. Um, like we we understand that like like there's this great need to save energy there's this great need to save water uh we talk to people in alaska who who want their water sovereignty and they need to go to washeterias to wash and dry their clothing and so it's just the more people that we communicate with we really see um the need for our product and then it and then it helps with our product development as well because our product could look like anything potentially ultrasound moves away from these steel drums that are are present in our current washers and dryers. And so by moving away from these, from having to stamp these steel drums, it can look like anything. It could look like a drawer. It could look like a garment bag. Right now we're picturing it's like a mini fridge and you open it up and, and hangers pop out of it and you put your hangers in it and it washes and dry your clothes. So it could, it could look like the washer dryer of the future. And so it's really whatever people tell us they need like we can we can make and design that for them I love that um very futuristic you're a visionary (laughs) what 
and it's and it's me just listening to others to execute yeah. this. So it's just like whatever you tell me, like I will, I will make. <laughs> um, is that where the name Altropia comes from? It's an ultrasonic utopia. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, so I have a question here because we've been talking about ultrasounds and I have no knowledge of electrical engineering or ultrasounds or anything in that realm. And I feel like most listeners don't either. So how would you dumb this down for someone? Like what is the technology? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I could touch on that. So like, um, you, you know, most people are probably familiar with ultrasound from uh, imaging used for like babies or, you know, other, you know, bodily functions, brain imaging. And um, so what it is, is it's just controlled acoustic energy, so vibrations in, in the material. Um, and, you know, for imaging, they're essentially just sending a pulse and hearing an echo as it returns back. And based on how it's echoing off of things, you can determine, you know, imaging. What we're doing is a little bit different. Um, it's still a, applied acoustic energy. It's just a lot more energy. Um, and the key thing in washing is that we're, we're driving enough energy into the water to effectively like, break the surface tension and it creates tiny bubbles. And as those bubbles collapse, it creates a localized pressure or, or uh, vacuum force that uh, withdraws embedded dirt from the fibers. And uh, in the drying process, those same vibrations break the surface tension of the water that's left in the clothes. And um, it becomes tiny droplets that get airborne and can be blown away with cold air. And so that's where a lot of the energy savings come in. And it's, a, um, it's, it's more delicate on clothing because you're not agitating it in a big drum and grinding it together. And it requires a lot less heat, which can degrade clothing as well. Yeah, so most of, most of the um, yeah most of the technology is in this this washing and drying process. So it allows it to take any form. It allows it to save energy, and then we would like to work to eventually reusing water in our system as well. Um, since we've already like atomized all the water off of the clothing in the in the drying process, um, potentially when like we could go ahead and distill the water and reuse the water in the system. Um, I think I got all the notifications. <laughs> um, and so the, and the, eventually, and that won't be in our first iteration, complete water reuse, um, that, that's several iterations out, but the ultrasound just allows the entire process to be much faster. And so we could wash it in 10 minutes and dry it in 10 minutes versus previously it, you'd need two hours, an hour and a half to wash and dry your clothes by not and the, the thing is we have to kind of retrain consumers and that's one of our hurdles is you can't just take your pile of dirty laundry and like dump it into our system like you you will you will need to hang it up on like a hanger or arrange the clothes in like in a way so they the acoustic field is able to evenly penetrate the clothes um the transducers can take a new configuration so really whatever fits into someone's workflow like maybe uh in a hospital they need some sort of um like cart so maybe we could design them a cart and, and that's what fits into their workflow. So it won't be like your normal washing machine. It's like, oh, you take your clothes off at the end of the day and you have to put them on this hanger to be washed and dried. So it's a little bit different system, but it's a much faster system. So it's, it's you just do these, instead of washing an entire load of clothes at once, you just, you can wash maybe like, you know, a couple outfits and put those away. <laughs> Wow, I love that. Thank you for that explanation. It actually made a lot of sense <laughs> and for someone with like no background. And okay, so a couple things that stood out to me from what you said. First of all, love that the water can be reused, even though, you know, it's definitely like down the line iteration. Um, super great for your sustainability mission. And um, you also mentioned like 
the way it's hung up matters. And, you know, the time saving is huge, like 10 minutes yes. versus two hours. Yeah. Um, so what do you think of in terms of the customer education process, like getting over that barrier? Because I know that like for a lot of people, yeah. laundry is definitely just like throw it in there. Yeah. So um, how yeah. are you approaching that? Yeah. And I think our, our target, our initial customers is not like middle America. It's not people who have, they're happy with their large giant capacity washers and dryers who want to do just all of their laundry at once are the people who like have access who are like, when can I buy this product? I'd like to do your initial trial runs. Like we're making these for these people. Um, they, they usually they're people who, who don't have access to a washer and dryer. So they're like students in, in dorms. They're people who live in these high rise condos who, the, there's water restrictions on their vintage apartment. They um, they live on islands that don't like really accommodate for traditional washers and dryers. They don't have the hookups for a 240 volt circuit to run a dryer. So there's 200,000 people in the Seattle area. There's 25 million Americans who don't have in-unit washers and dryers. Um, and so that's really our initial customer is they, they have expressed such such a need just the pain of having to take all of your laundry and go to the laundromat and then you end up spending like sixty dollars trying to wash your clothes <laughs> like it's it's like a shocking amount like it's the inflation on a laundromat is very oh. surprising <laughs> yeah. yeah the last time i went to the laundromat it was eleven dollars to run one like you know standard kind of smaller size um, vertical washing machine and it was like 25 cents for every four minutes of drying and you know that i, I did end up spending about sixty dollars to wash like a week's worth of clothes and like i was fortunate enough to have a car at the time you know i, I stopped driving because i just walk everywhere and that's that's pretty nice but if i had to go to a laundromat every day if i had to walk with a hamper of clothes or you know every week uh or get on the bus i, I just imagine that's extremely difficult for people yeah and just the you know for, for a lot of people they're like oh well i just throw my laundry in the washing machine and come back in an hour and it's all good but if you're going to the laundromat it's like do you travel back and forth or do you sit there and you know, I need like going to the laundromat. You see people that just spend all day sitting there doing yeah. their laundry, and it's really rough. Yeah, I, I lived in a in a unit that didn't have in unit washers or dryers, and like I wasn't like close to a laundromat. Like I didn't know where a laundromat was close by at all, and like and like and I would have to take the bus. Like I didn't have a car, and then I just ended up buying new clothes from the thrift store because they were like a dollar, like two dollars. And I would just like buy new clothes every day instead of doing my laundry because it was like easier. And then eventually, like, like I never figured out how to wash my clothes. And then I just moved. It's really like, <laughs> the silliest thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so funny when you first told me that. <laughs> you just kept buying clothes instead of laundering them. <laughs> it was just, it was way easier. <laughs> You guys are solving like such a big pain point. Like Cody, I can't believe that $60, like I can believe that because of how outrageous the prices are, but also ridiculous that someone has to spend that much to wash their clothes. Yeah. 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 And it's for the average student, you know, with um, the laundry facilities provided um, on campus, we've seen like 14 to $25 or somewhere in that range per week. And yeah. that's, you know, that's pretty significant. And we you know our machine's going to be expensive when, you know, the first ones that we're putting out there, but they will pay for themselves pretty quickly, especially if you look at it over, you know, four years you spend in college, like that much money just adds up. Yeah. And not everyone, you know, some people, they have the uh, the luxury of going back to their parents every week 
<laughs> we, <laughs> you <make your> mom <laughs> do it. <laughs> we talk, we've done lots of interviews with people all over the world. And the silliest one was with someone in the Israeli Defense Force. And we asked him, like, how, how did he wash his clothes when he was in the Israeli Defense Force? And he was like, I would go back home to, like, my mom and dad's and wash my clothes there. And I was, thinking, and I was like, oh, did, did every, he, everyone he knew did that? Like, I was like, not a single person that you knew had. He was like, no one I know owned a washer or a dryer. I was like, didn't the, like, military provide you one? And he was like, no, everybody just went back home. I was like, the entire Israeli Defense Force goes back to their parents, washes their clothes. Like, this is how you do it? And he's like, yeah, that's how we do it. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Almost endearing, but also <laughs> shocking. <laughs> this is how the military is run. It's like that seems nice. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so it seems like with your business, like what I'm hearing is you are you don't have like a straight competitor because what your your technology is so unique. Your competitor is basically the status quo, right? Like mm-hmm. of getting people to change their existing behavior of spending mm-hmm. a bunch of money on laundromats or you know, not washing their clothes. <laughs> I just didn't, that, that is an option. <laughs> I have done that. The, we're, we're kind of um, trying to compete in this, this. So at the very, like at one end there's hand washing. So like you can, people can keep doing that, but we would like to give them options. Uh, I would say a little bit, a step up from hand washing is um, these very small handheld ultrasonic washers have come onto the market and they're very, very popular. And they've taken off in Japan and Germany. And you you fill up your sink or like you fill up your basin and you drop it in there. And they kind of mark it as a very generalist item, like they can wash anything. And they're, they're travel size, so you could put it in your suitcase. Um, it's, I wouldn't, recommend them as like a general item the way that the transducer field does it doesn't really propagate well through like a large volume of clothes set up in this manner so it's like we we would our capacity would be higher than that and we would wash and dry and you wouldn't need to like fill up a sink so we're not really going after that particular market but we think it's really cool to see other ultrasonic washers on the market and so it's like they're and they've been so popular so we know like there's there is a need for this product and at the other end there is like ge who has dumped a ton of money into researching ultrasonic dryers, but never quite commercialized the products. And I, I, I actually, this is kind of a common trend to large these, like large washer dryer companies know that ultrasound is, um, is a thing that works and is like proven through research, but they've never commercialized it because they don't really want to move from their steel drum shape. Like they have their manufacturing in place. They make these steel drums. They go ahead and just attach these transducers to them. And then the transducer doesn't really work in air like that. You do need a medium to couple with it. Um, and so it's like the way that they're applying the, these fields isn't, isn't quite correct and adds a lot of cost to the system. So we're kind of trying to fit somewhere in the middle for, for these people who don't have washers and dryers. And they need a little bit more than an ultrasound, like um, handheld washer. They do want a dryer. And they don't, and they can't, re- like the 240 volts, the water usage for the two machines, the space, the capacity, they can't use a traditional washer and dryer. Hey, have you ever wanted to create your own podcast and share your own light mold moments with the world? If so, now is the perfect time to do so because audio is the future of the internet. And Anchor is a perfect place to do it. So Anchor is a podcasting platform you can find at anchor.fm. And it's what we use to create the Lightbulb Moment podcast. So Anchor is amazing because, first of all, it's completely free to use. Yep, completely free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. So I've used Anchor to record with other guests on a mobile app. And you can also edit on your computer. 
And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you across so many platforms. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other major podcast streaming sites. So you don't have to set up individual accounts and try to distribute to all of those places. And you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum subscribers needed. And it's basically everything you need to record, edit, and publish your podcast in one place all for free. So I highly encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Good luck. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I didn't know about the uh, in Japan and Korea. Mm, yeah. They have those. Yeah. I think one in Germany too, like very popular. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so, and but I know that that's not your market, right? Like you're yeah. not going after the commercial or sorry, the consumer market. So tell mm-hmm. us like, what is your kind of game plan of what's happening next mm-hmm. with Otropia? Mm-hmm. And so we've been successful in these, in these pitch competitions and getting like validation from like MIT and then giving you a hundred thousand dollars is like, that's, it really does validate, I think us, like in terms of like technology and like just like our mission statement, I think it does like give us a lot of traction in those terms. And it also gives us the ability to be flexible um, because it is non-dilutive funding. So we, we are in this really fun spot right now. It's like, yes, we did all the hard work of like customer validation. We finally get to do engineering again and we get to like play with engineering for a while. Like we have a little bit of a budget. We can just like, like do like what we love doing. And so um, a lot of it is just going to be, we, we care about how we, we manufacture these products. Um, and we don't just want to contract everything to China. And we had, did talk to Chinese manufacturers and it, and it just sounds like it's the supply chains are really affected right now. And it doesn't really necessarily add anything to our product, but we do plan on sourcing stuff um, and then just doing all our assembly in-house. And so um, we'll try to get as much from America as we can. And then the transducers we're unsure about. So if anybody has any ultrasound power transducer connections we are available to those <laughs> but um we're, we plan to do all of our assembly in-house and just start making them in, in small batches and, and seeing what people like so we're we're thinking that we'll connect with um a lot of people are renovating sprinter vans right now and there's like a huge movement to electrify vehicles and so we're kind of thinking maybe we'll ride the wave of rv electrifo- electrification and kind of fit into that space and so maybe get some like contracts and partnerships with rv makers um and they'll, they'll, they'll be our, our they, some of our beta testers and eventually our larger contracts is what we're hoping to get. Awesome. So it seems like you have a game plan. I'm so, so excited. And um, if you're like, so you're, when you say in-house, is this going to be like at the University of Washington in-house? Our first couple, yes. And yeah. then um, eventually we will move somewhere larger. Cody has some property in Spokane, and we think we'll probably do a lot of our manufacturing around Spokane eventually. But right now, just the first 20 or so that we're just making for like our friends are just are going to be made right here with, with the two of us. <laughs> yeah, that will be a really solid opportunity to iterate on the product, which is something that's really challenging as a hardware company is to, you know, to be able to actually get real, you know, you know, user feedback in, in the real sense, not just, you know, concept sketches and conversations like what we've been doing, but actually get the full scale product in the hands of consumers and nail, nail down all the bugs and, um, you know, it make sure that the user experience is as good as possible mm-hmm. and then go and expand from there. Yeah. And, and th- these initial ones won't be, you know, like, like perfect. <laughs> like yeah. they'll, they'll have their quirkiness and their flaws and they, they will need work and they'll need iterations. They'll, they'll just be like our initial, you know, like first prototypes, first batch. 
handmade. <laughs> and so it's, and, and, it, and it is just working with like people to refine and then a bit like uh, gain access to better manufacturing processes and then just refine our manufacturing process to create the, the more refined product. Yeah. And just making the whole process um, like kind of an organic growth strategy and uh, make sure that uh, we're sustainable, not just in the sense of like, you know, in the environmental st- sustainability, but also sustainable as a business, sustainable as a lifestyle, you know, and having, a, you know, really emphasizing things like uh, sustainable uh, pro- product sourcing um, and, uh, uh, you know, a, a resilient supply chain, mm-hmm. you know, that's a really big thing right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the ethical labor, like, you know, we, yeah. we really want to make sure that we're sourcing, even if it means the initial products will be more expensive, we want to build that into the company from a very early stage. As we scale, we can just scale what we already have. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's major manufacturers out there that are bringing facilities back into the United States, you know, in the wake of supply chain issues, in the wake of other political and um, social issues that are, you know, arising. Um, and, you know, they're spending billions of dollars to build factories in the United States after they already have opened ones overseas. And, you know, just coming in with a strategy of trying to do it right the first time and realizing there there is kind of a change in the, the way that manufacturing is done and, the, you know, the thoughts on like logistics and, you know, making sure that we build the right thing first. I love that. And I love how um, so passionate you guys are about sustainability and this mission. So let's talk a little bit about that, like beyond the product, like what is your vision in terms of like how this the social impact of this and, mm-hmm. you know, where you see the utopia of Ultrapia. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it's like some of this is like um like like my like my mom grew up in the Philippines and like my grandma like washed all of her eight children's clothes by hand. And it's like if you can give like all the moms of the world back their time and, and what we find is like laundry tends to fall to moms. It's a little bit, but for the, for the most part, it seems to be a mom job. (laughs) And so if you could just give like all of those women, just like, Hey, you don't, you don't need to spend an entire day. What doing whatever it takes to do laundry. Like some places like, like, Oh, you have to go like figure out where the water is, or you need to go like, like do like the more children you have, the more clothes that you have. And then like hang them out to dry. And then there, the, the resources are so different talking to people. It's like um, one of our um, our mentors in, in South Africa was like, he's like, I would hang my clothes out, but you have to watch them. Like, don't leave them. Someone could snag them off of the line and like steal your clothes. I was like, oh, I didn't even, and like, I didn't think about that at all. That's never been a worry of mine. And then we were talking to someone in like Gabon who was like, yeah, he was like, I have to make sure to iron my clothes because if I didn't iron my clothes, then bugs would lay eggs in my clothes. And like, so I, I did iron them to make sure there was no, no bug eggs. <laughs> it's like, I, I didn't, I'm never worried about that either. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that, that's, there's a bunch of issues with, um, you know, the, the, the limited uh, resources and things that people have. And um, a big part of our vision is the fact that the world is modernizing or mm-hmm. industrializing um, and more and more people are adopting you know, this kind of idealized Western standard of living, which like after water and electricity, a washing machine comes pretty quickly after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the issue is that if everyone on the planet adopted American washers and dryers, it'd be completely unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the carbon emissions, the energy consumption, the water use, I mean, the high efficiency washers use 14 gallons of water a load. 
And if everyone on the planet was doing that, you know, the load on freshwater supplies and the issues with generating microplastics, um, they just keep getting exponentially worse. So what a big part of what we're doing is coming in as the world is rapidly adopting washing machines and trying mm -hmm. to give people that are first time users a different option, something that's more sustainable. And it really is taking changing the way that people think about, you know, automating laundry because they've been washing clothes in wooden barrels since like the 1700s yeah. <laughs> and giving them, you know, new adopters a different option that's lower cost to operate, which is a huge issue for them. Um, and, uh, you know, just long term, more sustainable. And, and so that not having we see that as a way to navigate, uh, you know, the changing consumer habits It's 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 a changing um you know, we like world behavior and, and coming in in those markets, especially like the fastest growth is in Asian markets, mm -hmm. but I think it's, it's growing everywhere. I love that. What a powerful story. And, um, so right about one, Amy, what you touched on, it definitely falls on women. Yes. <laughs> love the mission of like giving women their time back. And, mm -hmm. you know, Cody, what you said, like if everyone were to live as unsustainably as we do in America, <laughs> we'd be screwed. <laughs> yeah. We don't even think about it. Yeah. So mm -hmm. um, something so I hear all the time is that, um, you know, uh, uh, Americans hate the idea of living like Europeans. Um, and I think one of those things is like giving up the dryer because mm -hmm. in, in Europe, it's a lot of places actually look down on it. Um, they might have the com, you know, the, the combination washer dryer, like rotary units and, they don't work very well. Everyone we've talked to that use one hate them, but they just choose not to use the dryer. The energy costs are higher and, the, you know, they the figure it's just better to hang your clothes out to dry. It just seems wasteful. Like even in London when it's, you know, pouring rain, they're still <laughs> trying to dry out their clothes in a human apartment. But um, giving them an option that is sustainable and compact to fit their smaller lifestyles. A lot of places is like um, we talked to someone from Italy and they're like, I, I don't know anyone that had a 240 volt dedicated dryer circuit in their house. It's just, it's not a thing. And, but allowing it to be compatible with a standard wall outlet is a big value proposition for tons of people in these smaller houses. And I think that's just going to keep getting more and more common, you know, even in the United States, you know, I can't afford a house. I don't know if I'll ever be able to afford a house. And, uh, you know, everyone in my generation is looking at like, I'm either going to have to have an apartment or a condo or, you know, a tiny home, or I'll live in a van. And it's like, those are all great places for this product. And so we're kind of changing the status quo by coming in at the right time when, you know, the, the world is changing, you know, the, there's, there's still rapid growth in the housing market, but there's just not enough land to, you know, give everyone their own, you know, suburban home that totally. can support a washer and dryer, you know? Everyone is like waking up to the fact that the way that we're living right now is not sustainable. No. And it's not gonna last. no. So you guys are totally on like, you're like riding the wave of yes ahead of the wave too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, quick question here, because I have noticed throughout this conversation, you guys have had these fascinating conversations with like people from Israel and Italy and Gabon. <laughs> like tell the listeners, like, how does one do this? How did you find <laughs> Um, and I think that's like we've in in the entrepreneurship circle, um, like we've aggressively grown our networks and everybody in just the entrepreneurship space has been so friendly and so helpful. We thought it would be a lot more competitive, but everybody is so interested in connecting you with resources. Everyone that we talk to is like, let me connect you with four more people. And then it's just the more people that we meet. 
um, the more that we talk about laundry, the more stories that we hear. Mm-hmm. And so we, we like I did um, the Women's Business um, Enterprise National Council Accelerator with you, Rika. That was like yeah. really, really excellent. I did um, Founders Institute. That was really, really excellent. We did stuff with the National Science Foundation. Um, we recently did one with um, NYSERDA, like New York's Accelerator. Mm-hmm. That was really, really great. And so like, every, all of these programs for clean tech, climate tech, and every single pitch competition we do too. Normally we make friends with the competitors that we're supposed to be competing against just because it's like we love what they're doing and like we want to see them like succeed on their mission. Like anybody that's out there trying to do something like a hundred percent, like I will like support you. I love what you're doing. Like keep doing like anybody that's just trying anything. Like I think that's so important to nurture and to foster because otherwise it's like you, you let the corporations continue to run things and like the bloated manner that they have and then it just like it's it's the downfall of society like if you want goods and resources to be distributed in a fair way it's like you need innovation you need entrepreneurship like that's the heart of capitalism like it's it's like special and you like need to protect it 100 percent. i love how you said bloated like i'm just imagining those like political cartoons of like the old guy like smoking a cigar love that um so cool love how both of you are so passionate about this and you know as we wrap up here so first of all great tip about the connections and stuff and I know um Amy like you are totally giving back because you're a mentor in the Founders Institute I think yeah and just recently and so it's just like yeah anything that I can do like yes (laughs) like reach out yeah and I do I think she had a really great point about competitions are that's kind of a misnomer I think because Mm-hmm. most people in these competitions that have this great idea and they're working on, you know, commercializing it as a business or they're researchers in a lab that, you know, have spent years researching something and they're trying to, you know, figure out a path to market. Um, most of them are, don't actually encounter any competitors in the competition. And so it's, it's weird that it's framed like that. It's a little bit of like an injustice because a lot of people I feel like are intimidated by their so-called competitors when they are both, you know, all of them are, are working hard to do similar things and their resources, there's a lot of overlap. And so I think that's something key that really has helped us be successful and help the people around us is that we are open. We, we come and, you know, approach them and uh, make them feel comfortable. I think that's something that's really key that um, I know that, you know, if I was on this alone, I would probably be kind of distrustful and worried and, you know, those things like um, that's, it, it helps to have a community. So like having a co-founder is immensely valuable. So, you know, Amy is a, a, definitely a lot more, you know, social and willing to get out there. And I think that's something that I've learned is just like, you can't do engineering in a vacuum. You got to talk to people and, you know, I like, I want to innovate, but I can't just do that from the perspective of an engineer. I, I think being multidisciplinary and understanding how to make something real and where the funding's coming from and, you know, how to connect that with real value, with real people. I think that's that's really opened up my eyes on what it means to innovate. Oh, that's beautiful. You guys have such a great like co-founder <laughs> balance. <laughs> it is it is nice. Like I it would be hard to do this alone for sure. And so just having a community and having a co-founder too. And I think the reason we are successful is because um we balance each other really really well. I think I'm the more um like empathetic emotional communicator and then Cody's like one of the best technical communicators. And so it's just combining that skill set. It would be easier to kind of divide and conquer on a lot of our tasks, but we do end up doing a lot of our tasks together because it's like 
we like enhance each other's perspective and then the work that we present is so much like greater than the sum of its parts it's very it ends up being like more than i could do on my own yeah yeah just to have someone there to you know at least spell check or you know (laughs) maybe limit the number of run-on sentences (laughs) (laughs) in the business plan or something and it's yeah that this perspective is is huge and I, i feel like a lot of people when they're innovating they want to protect their idea like it's their sacred baby and really, there's so many people out there that are willing to help. And, um, you know, you, you want to be careful, but you shouldn't be afraid. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, it's not something you want to, you know, set out to do all, all on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys bring such a positive mindset to that. I love that. And you're, you're so right, because in a competition, like, rarely are the people mm-hmm. working on the same business. So there's no reason you can't help each other mm-hmm. um, af- after or whatever, even during with like mm-hmm. the resources and stuff. Um, so I love that you guys bring that to the table and what you have with the co-founder and the skill set and stuff, it's hard to replicate. So definitely some serendipity there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It it helps to be friends beforehand, I think. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Um, what is something that you can share that maybe listeners can replicate? Like if they're out there, they want to build a business or maybe they've started, like, um, what are like, maybe each of you could share the biggest lesson you've learned on this journey Mm -hmm. um, that could help them. Yeah. There are a lot of lessons. The well, maybe just any lesson then if you can't think of the biggest. <laughs> yeah. Um I feel like listening, listening is always a solid lesson. And it's and, and I think it's um like listening, but just because you listen, you don't have to like change everything about yourself. Like listening with like a grain of salt. Like be open to feedback, be open to others, be open to everything around you. But just because someone like tells you something like that's just a single data point and understand that that's a single data point. So you want to listen to as many people as you can so you can understand all of those data points and like look for trend lines. And if you notice a trend line, then change, but like don't like, oh, I got a single data point and this is, I'm going to change everything that I'm doing, but don't feel like you need to, um, because it's easy to to like fight the, like any criticism that you're getting or like not listen to it or like yeah, shut down the judges in these competitions. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they just roast they, you. They can't, mm-hmm. they can't. It is. If somebody gets under your skin, you want to be like, you're not, but it's, it's not helpful. Cause a lot of times at the end, like after we've, we've heard them out at the end, like then they say something at the end that was like legitimately helpful. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We got somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's getting to the, not shutting, like letting it get to that point where it's like, Oh, they do they do come around like they, they will run out of steam and then they'll tell you something helpful at the end is what we find. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yes. It is hard sometimes listening to the judges, like tearing apart your yeah. sacred baby as. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just listening to others too, not just like there's, we've actually gotten way more. We really haven't gotten too much like criticism, honestly, like, like, feedback but I wouldn't say like most everybody's been nice honestly and and um yeah just listening to to like the people around you and like their needs and like ways that you can like what they're saying like what your customers are saying and like what they're because it's easy to lead people as well so just like oh listening to the community listen listening to the people around you and then just and what people have to say about their problems so it's just been really helpful listening to people around the world talk about laundry and I feel like that's framed are thinking more than anything else is like just listening to them. Yeah. And we definitely have gotten some harsh negative feedback. 
Um, but I, I think one of the biggest challenges in this space, um, especially for me, is maintaining a positive attitude and understanding, like, you know, that like, I, I guess it's not putting yourself worth in, you know, what someone has to say. Like, if they don't understand it, maybe you didn't communicate the idea well, or maybe there's something wrong with, you know, the the uh, whatever the subject may be, you know, business model or something like that. Um, and just understanding that, like, you, you want to maintain positivity, like Amy's saying, like someone's going to give you negative feedback and that's okay. Either they're an understanding, looking at it with a positive light, like either they're not a good fit, you know, like they're a, a rich um, male investor from the United States that doesn't understand that laundry is an issue. Yeah, there's, like, there's a few of those. <laughs> my wife just does my laundry. I don't see what the big deal is. You're like, <laughs> we definitely got that a lot. Um, no. You know, so it's... And, and, understanding that there are you know forces in the world that are working against us and not not taking that as like a, a, a an affront to our self-worth and i think that's that's a big challenge especially because you know we we do put our, our heart and soul into the business but it's because we believe in the concept we believe that with the work and the engineering that we're doing we can really make a big difference but that understanding that along the journey of any startup you shouldn't be investing your self-worth that's really difficult because mm -hmm. it, it is, you know, something that I put a lot of value into it, but yeah. it, it's I, that it shouldn't be taking value away from, you know, it's from me and from us. Um, and that's the, one of our company values is sustainable lifestyles and understanding mm -hmm. how to do that as a startup is tough because it can take everything, you know, it, and it can, it can, you know, it's a very bumpy road. Yeah. Um, I love that arch between like the sustainability in your product versus like the sustainable lifestyle you're trying to create with like not letting it deteriorate your self-worth or your mental health. Mm -hmm. um, so important. Yes. Um, yeah. Two super, super important lessons and something that anyone can apply, whether they're a solo founder, or, you know, have found the perfect co-founder just getting started. Um, so thank you so much for sharing and thanks so much for coming on. I learned even more about your business and like, I feel like <laughs> I understand ultrasound now. <laughs> We're communicating well. <laughs> yes, you are great communicators, both of you. <laughs> well, we've practiced. We've practiced. We've gotten better. <laughs> Everything's a practice. I think a lot of people get hung up on the idea that some people just have inherent skills and just are better than other people. That's just simply not true. No, we didn't start off this good. No. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this for a while. Yeah, I can't even imagine it any other way, but you're so right. Like, I wish I could communicate like both of you, but then I have to remind myself, practice. Practice, yep. yeah. <laughs> Love that. Well, thanks, guys, for coming on. And um, thanks for listeners. Um, when you listen to this episode, I will link, you know, your LinkedIn's in the show notes, if that's okay. Do you guys have a yes, website for Ultropia? Yeah, ultropia.us. Okay, perfect. We'll link that as well. Awesome. Ah, thank you so much, Marika. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having us on. And we yeah. always love talking to you. <laughs> Yay. Awesome. This pleasure is all mine. And I will talk to you guys later. Bye. Yeah. Talk to you. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs> Want to get a workbook detailing steps you can take for your business today, as well as our top recommendations for entrepreneurs? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot, and email it to contact at thinkida.com. Thank you for listening to the Lightbulb Moment Podcast. We'll see you here next time.